On Monday, Sports Illustrated columnist Albert Breer used his weekly Monday morning quarterback column to highlight a college town that has become a surprising destination for NFL franchises over the last six months, Norman, Oklahoma. Why, you ask? Head coach Lincoln Riley is at the forefront of offensive innovation, and NFL teams want to pick his brain as much as possible. It's a piece that I encourage you all to read. I posted it to the West of Everest Facebook page on Monday afternoon. I'm not going to go line by line in the article. Lee and I will likely go more in depth during the show. But there was a certain long-form quote that I found to be really eye-opening. Responding to a question on how to effectively implement his seemingly complicated offensive system in an era where the NCAA strictly limits the time you can spend with players, Riley said this, quote, The thing we found here is you can't have too much in schematically. You've got your time you feel you've got to spend on fundamentals, and you've got your time you feel like you need to spend on schematics. And when there's less time to work, you've got to decide what your priorities are. Understand if you add something from somewhere, you're probably taking it from somewhere else. It just makes you nail down your priorities. And as you go through the season, you've got to be willing to stick with them. Unquote. I like this quote so much because in simple terms, it explains what I assume is a constant struggle for college coaches over the course of a season. Let's say you're watching tape of Iowa State beat Oklahoma last October. You notice a singular play where everything breaks down in your defense. The scheme, the fundamentals, everything. After breaking down the play completely, you and your defensive coordinator conclude that schematic tweaks could be made to maximize the chances your defense had to be successful on that play. But those tweaks would require extra film time and teaching of a new concept. However, you also determine that had a couple key guys taken the proper angle or fundamentally wrapped up the ball carrier, the big play would have effectively been stopped. So, as a major college football coach at a nationally relevant program competing for a national title, what do you do? Oh yeah, and the NCAA says you can only be with your team for 20 hours a week. What do you do now? Do you add in the extra film and teaching sessions to make the tweak? Or do you use that time to go over fundamentals again in hopes they don't make the same physical mistake twice? I think this is an important perspective for fans, especially frustrated fans. And yes, here's my main point. No matter how bad the 2017 Oklahoma defense was, and no matter the amount of changes that needed to be made, the boring and disappointing rationale for those changes not being made is probably the most likely. It wasn't logically possible. I'm Grant Benson. This is West of Everest. Fires for the first down. Got it. Kenny. Cameron Kenny in a foot race. 40, 30, 20. Cuts for the end zone and puts it away for the Sooners. Oh, my. What a play. 86 yards when they had him backed up in third and long. We thought the freshman had the speed, but did you see Kenny turn on the afterburners? Our main man, Cameron Kinney, welcomes us into another edition of West of Everest. Kinney's 86-yard catch-and-run touchdown against OSU gave the Sooners a nine-point lead with three minutes to play in Stillwater back on November 27, 2010. OU went on to win 47-41. 
McKinney had a monster game. Six catches, 141 yards, and two scores. Here in the offseason, we continue showcasing former Sooners in the intro based on the month of the year. Our final show of June highlights Cameron Kinney, who wore the number six in 2009 and 2010. Hey everyone, I'm Lee Benson. You heard Grant with the opening take at the top of the show. We'll bring him back in a moment. Before we do that, though, I want to tell you what's on the show today. Our main topic, what do we think the Oklahoma offense is going to look like this fall with Kyler Murray at the helm? That's the question of the week, and it's worth asking because Murray's skills are so unique, specifically his ability to run the football. Grant and I haven't talked to each other at all about this topic, so he doesn't know what I'm going to say, and I don't know what he's going to say. Hopefully, that's an interesting discussion. Also on the docket today, Lincoln Riley attracting a lot of NFL coaches to Norman this offseason. Grant talked about that in the opening take. Uh, that Sports Illustrated piece explaining that Riley has gotten a lot of contact from the NFL, asking about Oklahoma's offense and other things like that. Plus, what's Riley's current thoughts on coaching in the NFL? We'll talk about that. Speaking of Sports Illustrated, the publication ranked the top 100 players in college football and only one Sooner made the list. That seems a bit ridiculous. We might spend a lot of time on that, actually. Plus, the interview we've all been waiting for. Baker Mayfield went on Colin Cowherd's show last week. It was great television. We'll play you uh, one of the sound bites that I found to be the most interesting, probably the best moment of the interaction. I think a lot of you probably have heard it already, but we'll play it again just in case you have not. All of that's on the rundown. Let's bring back Grant now to discuss how he's doing. What's going on, Grant? Uh, nothing much, Lee. It's, it's good to be here. It's just another great day here in Minneapolis, St. Paul. I'm just ready to talk some OU football. That uh, Bedlam game in 2010, I, I had forgotten a lot about that. Uh, the Cameron Kinney touchdown catch was, it looked to be like that was like the, 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 the put away touchdown because it came with three minutes ago in the fourth quarter. On the ensuing kickoff, I think it was Justin Gilbert took it uh, all the way to the house and Oklahoma State scored on a kickoff return touchdown. So that basically erased the Cameron Kinney touchdown. But then like a play or two later, um, James Hanna had like a 79 yard touchdown catch. Just like I, as I was watching it back, I, it all started coming back to me it's like, oh, yeah, this was just another example of the fantastic Big 12 defenses from the late uh, 2000s, early 2010s. Uh, does that uh, game ring a bell to you? Absolutely. That game was that game was a blast. That game was so much fun. Um, I, I just of course, my I think you and I, we talked about our memories of, of Cameron Kinney from that game a couple weeks ago. So we don't have to dive back into that. I think it was again, last week we just randomly was, talked about. Was that about already last yeah. week? Yeah, All right, that was well, last week's show. Mm-hmm. Well, anyhow, that's what gave I me mean, the idea to do Cameron Kinney on this oh, show. Oh, of course, of course. I mean, obviously, the the greatest Cameron Kinney moment uh, moment in, in Oklahoma football history, obviously. Um, <laughs> and I I even think when that play happened, I'm pretty sure once he crossed the goal line, you and I both like jumped to like face like face to face to each other, and we both at the exact same time screamed out Cameron Kinney. It was <laughs> it was hilarious. Great game. That was a fun game. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's uh, wow. What a time to be alive. <sighs> All right. Let's talk about the current Oklahoma football team. Uh, this is a topic that you pitched a couple weeks ago. The Oklahoma offense this upcoming fall with Kyler Murray at the hell at the helm. And you wanted to have a free flowing discussion about this, what it's going to look like. And again, as of now, it'd be a huge upset, in our opinion, if Murray is not the starting quarterback. And I think most everybody agrees with that sentiment. Let's talk about what these Sooners will look like with Murray back there. 
I think this could be like a 30-minute topic, a 30-minute discussion, or it could be a quick five-minute discussion. Honestly, I have no clue. So I'm going to have you start us off, though, Grant, because I have a feeling that you have a lot to say on this one. Well, yeah, absolutely. It's just it's it's been going through my mind a lot, basically ever since the Rose Bowl was over. I'm just curious as what the offense is going to look like because it's going to change a little bit. This is clearly not going to be the Baker Mayfield offense, um, and that's not to say that you know the Baker Mayfield offense was you know let's let's put it in the air 50 times a game. It's been well documented that that was clearly not the case. Uh, they had, you know, I think a, a 55 to 45 run pass split last year. Um, what do you expect, Lee? Do you expect that? Do you expect that, that split to kind of stay similar? Or do you think this is going to be more of a, and before we get more in depth, just, here's just the general question to start the, the, the conversation off. Do you think this is going to turn into more of a, just a, more of a run heavy offense rather than what we've seen the last three years? No, I do not. And this is why I, uh, I'm not sure how long this discussion will last, because I honestly don't envision the offense changing that much at all. I think it's going to be pretty much exactly the same, with the exception of, hey, the quarterback at times will be able to get away from uh, players a little bit more than Mayfield was, obviously, because Murray's speed. And sure, here and there, we'll see a little bit more designed um, wrinkles with the running uh, with the running of Murray. But for the most part, no, I anticipate this offense to be pretty much exactly what we've seen the last three years with Baker Mayfield running it. And so I, I don't mean necessarily, you know, they're, it, I'm not saying they're going to come out and run like the triple option or anything. I mean, there's obviously, you know, formations are, are largely going to be the same. They're going to do a lot of the same stuff we've seen. Um, what I'm more interested in, Lee, is, is one, and not more interested, but here, here's just another interesting caveat I think that we can throw out there, is, okay, we have Kyler Murray, who obviously, you know, has a different skill set than Baker Mayfield. We're also graduating someone else who is a really important member of this offense for the last three seasons, Lee, and that's Dimitri Flowers. Not just because he was a solid player, but just because um, how versatile he was and how you know how he didn't really have to sub out. He could play a bunch of different positions. Um, was a really dangerous player in Lincoln Riley's offense, and there's no longer really any sort of obvious person to take that role now. Jeremiah Hall was... Uh, is kind of the guy on campus right now who's recruited uh, to fill that spot. We haven't really heard a lot about him, not a lot of, you know, and usually when you've been on campus for close to two years like Jeremiah has, it's not necessarily a great thing that you haven't heard a lot of buzz out of him. Uh, Braden Willis was a guy that they definitely recruited for that role in the 2008 or in this 2018 recruiting class. Uh, he is a summer enrollee, so he has not even really started, you know, formally practicing yet. I'm sure he's going through some like seven on seven stuff with with the team because they're all there right now. But he hasn't actually had a, a full official practice as a Division One college football player yet. Lee, do you think here is what I'm slightly scared is not the right word, but I'm kind of concerned of. I'm concerned that the Dimitri Flowers packages are might be completely removed from the offense. Um, I mean, that's a logical concern considering Dimitri Flowers is, is clearly not a player that you can just plug and play anybody else in that spot. I mean, this is a guy that's probably going to, going to earn some immediate playing time with the Jets this year. I've, I've read a couple articles about how it's basically between him and this other, uh, fullback for the Jets that was like a defensive tackle for a bit and they, they changed positions and, and it sounds like, you know, what does, what do the Jets want to do? Do they want to be more of a blocking running team or do they want to have a fullback that can actually be utilized in different ways? And I would bet that they're going to want to have a fullback that can be utilized in different ways. Point being, Dimitri Flowers is a, an extremely talented player that, that we all thought was going to make some waves in the NFL. And early on, he's gotten a lot of, a lot of pub in New York, uh, 
and I think that he's going to earn some playing time, make that roster, and play for the Jets. So uh, he's not a guy that they can easily replace. However, it's hard to imagine that position being just stripped from the offense. Um, surely it's, it's, it's easy to say it may be scaled back quite a bit because the person that's playing in that spot won't have the kind of experience that Dimitri Flowers uh, brought last season. Um, the question, though, is, is how much of Dimitri Flowers' ability to play so many different positions and play in so many different packages, how much did that add to Oklahoma's offense and, and how much of his ability and his, his presence there uh, lead to that offense being so effective last year? Certainly, he helped a lot. I just don't know if it, if it is as much as maybe you're making it out to be, if that's a fair, fair way to say it. Yeah, you know, I, I think I, I, I am completely open to being, you know, having my mind changed on this. It, it's, it's more of a concern right now. It's not necessarily a take. I'm not saying that they're screwed at that position this year because we just don't know yet. It's just concern at this point, just because we ha- there there hasn't been a lot of smoke at that position with Jeremiah Hall and Braden Willis in terms of physicality looks looks like he's probably going to be that guy, but I, you, you can just can you can never count on a true freshman coming in, in the summer and 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 playing a role so early on. So I, I, I'm just curiously I I, I want to know because Dimitri Flowers was a was a huge part of this offense, and it's not like Dimitri Flowers was just a guy that just kind of came out of nowhere this past year. This is a guy who was a who is a main factor on this team and on this offense for the last three years. Um, and I think, you know, obviously not counting Baker Mayfield in this league, and I, Dimitri Flowers is the biggest loss on this offense. I think that's that's fairly obvious, um, even more so than Orlando Brown and Mark Andrews. Um, so I, I don't know. And so, uh, of course, I, I think coming back, back around to it, the question on this offense this season, leading up to the season until we actually see the game, is how much is Kyler Murray going to run? And you're on record as saying you don't think it's going to change a lot. You think it's going to be it, probably still kind of that 55-45 split. Um, here's, here's where I, I, I may kind of differ from you, Lee, and I, and I, think, I think the offense might change a little bit. Just And, and, and I, I think they're going to run the ball a little more this year. I, I really think they are because I... I think you can pretty much already pencil in about 10 Kyler rushes per, per game because if you don't do that, I think you're kind of wasting his skill set. What's your opinion on that? My opinion is I don't want him to run a lot because, and here's why, the Oklahoma offense and, and Baker Mayfield, Lincoln Riley, all of these guys always say this, and it's true. They run the football at Oklahoma to set up the pass to keep teams off balance. I mean, they, they want to run the ball to, to then open up the passing game, which – uh, if you're not a, a big Oklahoma guy or a big Big 12 guy, uh, the national media, you might just see Oklahoma and you see that offense, all the points and all the yards and think, oh, it's the typical spread, Texas Tech offense, Big 12 offense where they just throw it a million times. And we all know that that's not true watching this team from game to game. Uh, the reason why I don't want him to run a whole lot is because then if he ends up running a bunch, that makes him a lot more predictable. And I think that's why this offense is so good is that you don't know what they're going to do because the quarterback is able to do both. And obviously Baker Mayfield is not, is not as good of a runner as Murray, but Mayfield was able to pick a spots and, and they had some plays in for him. I mean, there's definitely going to have plays in for Murray, obviously. I just don't think that's the way this offense is set up. This offense is not set up to have the quarterback uh, for, like you said, run 10 times a game. And you say it's wasting his skill set. I like to think of Kyler Murray 
his ability to run just kind of like as a fail safe, like an insurance policy, because I'd rather have him back there throwing the football to open guys because he's got a good arm. He's fairly accurate and he needs to have that confidence to where he can be back there and be a pocket passing quarterback, step up in the pocket and not automatically think I got to run. I got to run, which watching back, I went back and I'll talk about this a little bit later. I went back to his first start as a college player at Texas A&M in 2015. It seemed like that offense they designed for him, not surprisingly, very simple, a lot of play fakes, a lot of a lot of uh, let's run him a lot to set up some open throwing lanes for him. Now, as three years have gone by and he's gotten more experience in college, granted, he hasn't gotten a whole lot of playing time, but he's learned from Lincoln Riley and Baker Mayfield. I'd like to think that his ability to sit back there and throw and want to throw as opposed to first thought run has gone away. And he's going to be he's the thing is with Kyler Murray, too. He's going to want to go back there and he's going to want to throw it around the yard. He's not going to want to be a guy who immediately I just run, 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 run. And I think, you know, that, too. Um, so that's why I, 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 I mean, if it works, I mean, Lincoln Riley is a genius, so he'll figure it out. But as of now, I, the idea of Kyler Murray being penciled in for 10 runs a game, I'm not a big fan of that, especially considering that it, it, it increases the uh, chances of him getting hit or uh, being injured, which is obviously something that Lincoln Riley is not going to have to be a possibility because he wants to keep his quarterback upright, not to mention not even talking about the future of, of Murray, whereas after this year he's going to be up for playing baseball and he doesn't want to risk getting injured uh, in, in any serious way to, to jeopardize his baseball career. All right, a, a few things to, to touch on there. So first of all, I'm glad that you brought up the – the whole notion, you know, the national media looking at Big 12 and just assuming that OU is a team that just, especially because they had Baker Mayfield, assuming they were a team that just threw it all over the yard and didn't run the ball that much. I'm glad you brought that up because that was obviously a source of a lot of frustration for us last season um, when you and I were constantly having to say, well, no, actually this team, you know, it runs more than it throws. I mean, it's pretty easy to look up those stats. And also, not only do they run more than they throw this, I mean, this is the best running team in the country. And I, I still think that they were. I mean, they were they were the best running and throwing team in the country last year. Um, anyway, I mean, so I'm it's glad, probably I'm, the best offense in the history of college football. It's ar- I mean, it, arguably, it's arguably, it's up there. It's certainly up there. And it's, I, I am, I think any, any argument in the affirmative is probably a legitimate argument. Um, second point and of course now i can't even remember the second points oh yes i can uh these just kind of this notion of i'm not a huge fan of you wanting to pigeonhole kyler murray into being a pocket passer because if that's the case then i think austin kendall should just be the quarterback um kyler murray you know we we haven't seen him throw the football a lot but we do know one thing about kyler murray and we know that his uh, the ability with his legs is is something that we've never seen before, um, and I just I have a really hard time believing that his legs are not going to be a major component of this offense. And I'm not necessarily talking about Lee, just like him, you know, them spreading out five wide and him getting the snap, and then you know him just taking off and running. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about nuanced good plays like RPOs, uh, just any any sort of wrinkles that Lincoln Riley can add in there. Um, you say that this offense isn't built for a running quarterback. I say garbage. I say this offense is built uh, for whatever it needs to be. And if you if you think Lincoln Riley can't tweak his offense to to situate a um, a running quarterback, then I, I I just I couldn't disagree with you more on that. Um, well, hold on. let me let me jump in real quick. I th- I'm not saying that it's not built for running quarterback. What I'm saying is that 
I don't know, at Lincoln Riley or just, and just in general in the history of college football and just football, I don't necessarily want a running quarterback. I want a quarterback that can throw it and then when needed to can run because I think that's what's been most successful and what we've seen the last three years. I mean, Baker Mayfield is a quarterback that, that throws it, but when needed to, he can run. He's got, he's got a, little bit of, a little bit of wiggle. Uh, Murray's got more of that, but I'm just afraid of a quarterback that relies too much on his legs can lead to making bad decisions and relying on it too much and then not making the throw when he's supposed to make the throw or not hitting the receiver when he's supposed to hit the receiver because he's too worried about making a play with his legs. Okay. I, I mean, I, I suppose that's that, that's a valid concern. You're, you're mostly going with the, I want my quarterback to concern about, I want him to be concerned about throwing rather than running. Um, whereas I, I'm just, I mean, he, he's a natural runner and I, I just think that's what he's naturally going to do and that's how he's going to make plays. Um, I, I just want to bring up just like, just for instance, like just using the RPO as an example. And actually, if you go and read the, the Monday morning quarterback article with Lincoln Riley, he actually, he's quoted in the article. He says, we actually don't run a lot of RPOs at Oklahoma. That was a thing that I was going to ask you about. Like, do you expect to see that to change with Kyler Murray? Because I, I would expect to see a little more RPO. Um, if he's saying they haven't, they haven't been running it that much. I, I certainly expect to see it more with Kyler Murray because Lee with an RPO, I mean, you're, I mean, that's, it's almost a quadruple option play. Um, I mean, it's 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 a tri- it's a triple option. You can either hand it off, throw it, or you can run it as the quarterback. So, um, see, that's a good question because, yeah, general th- thinking would would assume sure. I mean, you're going to see more of it because Kyle Murray is more of a runner. But the fact that Oklahoma isn't, like Riley said, they don't run as many RPOs as maybe one would think. Other teams run more. That's kind of striking because if, if any team's going to run RPOs a bunch, it'd be Oklahoma last last year and the year before with Baker Mayfield, the smartest quarterback and the best quarterback in college football. I think RPOs are there's they're got to be somewhat difficult. And you got Kyler Murray coming in here, who's never started a full season, only ha- only has uh, two starts to his name in college. One of them was where he played a series last year. It must be a difficult thing, and, and to have this guy come out here and have his first year as a starting quarterback being trusted to run a bunch of RPOs. I mean, if, if Oklahoma didn't run him a whole lot before with Baker Mayfield, it's kind of hard to think that all of a sudden this guy with not much experience starting-wise, uh, he's got a lot of experience in college, of course. I, I don't know if that's going to all of a sudden translate into a lot more RPOs this upcoming season. Yeah, I, it's interesting for sure. Uh, and like, you know, I, I don't know what's going to happen. I, I could be totally wrong. I, I think that we are going to see a more of a quarterback run centric offense. And that doesn't mean it's going to be a, like a heavy one. Like you've, you've seen in the past with some other teams. I just mean it, it's, it's going to be more of, I, I think it's going to be, I think they're going to throw the ball less this year. I think they're going to be more of a, of a run the balls, you know, to set up the big plays to Hollywood Brown type of team. I, I think that, is going to be their bread and butter this year. It's going to be lulling to sleep, rolling to sleep with Rodney, even though he's probably going to hit you for 30 or 40 yards here and there, or pretty often actually. Um, and then, you know, once they got everyone in the box, then that's when they're going to hit him with Hollywood. I, I think, I think that's going to be kind of the general flow of their offense this year. Yeah. Uh, probably. Uh what I'm what I'm most concerned with, and I'll just go ahead and jump to this now because it, it kind of, it's kind of on topic with you mentioning what you think their offense is going to be like. Would that make sense? Uh, to go along with that, though, a big part of Oklahoma's offense, and really any offense in, in football being successful, 
is that you have to be able to stretch and stress the defense. And my biggest concern with Murray heading into this year is his comfort level throwing the football down the field because Mayfield wasn't afraid to throw the ball down the field, as we saw. I mean, not to mention he was incredibly experienced and, and he was more comfortable doing it as he got uh, more into his career. Uh, you know, finding guys open in the second level of the defense is, is so important, and it's an important facet of the Oklahoma offense because you've got to keep those defenses, as I said, stretched out and stressed and guessing. And, you know, this is something that I'm sure Lincoln Riley is 100% aware of, and, and Kyler Murray is as well. But going back to, you know, last season, granted, we don't have a, a big – um, sample size because Murray played almost the entire second half against UTEP and then after that I mean he, you know, he played a lot in, in that Kansas game but the wind was bad he didn't get to throw much I mean in that UTEP game he only threw the ball down the field one time and you know and against Tulane he had that long you know baseball 50 60 yard pass to Hollywood Brown uh, but my my concern is that Murray hasn't had a whole lot of experience in college throughout an entirety of a game, throwing the ball in the second level, into the third level of the defense, and stretching that defense out. He's had a lot more experience just kind of dinking and dunking, throwing those outs, those slants, those screens. And that's what I think is going to be the biggest concern going into this year is him getting comf comfort, uh, comfortable throwing those balls in the middle of the field as Baker Mayfield was so good at and exploiting the middle of the field and throwing it down the field and finding guys open. That's going to be difficult for him. Yeah, I think that's a, a, a completely valid concern to have, and I think until we actually see him play in a game, those are concerns that we're going to continue to have. Um, yeah, having that been said, it, it's you know if I had to make a prediction, uh, and I've and I, I've alluded to it, I think a few times in the last few weeks. I, I think Kyler Murray is going to be spectacular this upcoming season. Um, but of course, I mean we we don't know of course until we actually see him suit up and play in a game. The uh, I the brief. The brief times that we've seen him over the course of his career here, he's been spectacular, um, and that's basically just this past season, 2017, when he, you know, in mop-up duty, he was really good, um, or at least he he didn't show, he didn't give us any reason to believe that he's bad. So, and and I would I would tell you, Lee, just don't don't underestimate um, the power of him being in this system and being with Coach Riley for two years. He's he's been doing this for over two years. It's been two and a half years he's been in this program now. Uh, I, I'm sure he, he knows the playbook. I'm sure he, you know, he, he practices too. Um, and so I, with him, you know, not being familiar with the playbook and stuff like, I, I just, that's, that's not a big concern for me. I, I think he's going to be ready to go there. And also I, I, I don't, I don't, I, I understand with a lot of what you're saying with his throwing ability and how you want him to, to focus on that. And, and, and I do too, to an extent, obviously, because I, I want him to be an effective thrower of the football. But I don't know if you're putting I don't know if you're putting enough stock in his ability to run because I do think that is going to be the portion of his game that absolutely terrifies opposing uh, defensive coordinators, um, and and I I just really think that Lincoln Riley is is going to leverage those fears and he's going to do it in really creative ways and I'm excited to see it. To touch on that last thing, and here's the thing that uh, that that makes me cautiously optimistic and. Uh, it's certainly important, and it means a heck of a lot that he's been in this program for as long as he's been in this program. Being behind Baker Mayfield, learning from him, and learning from Lincoln Riley is something that that you can't get anywhere else, obviously. And previously, he was at A&M under Kevin Sumlin and Jake Spavadol, who, uh, to be quite quite honest, uh, offensively, not even close to Lincoln Riley. I, I, my apologies to Kevin Sumlin. My apologies to Jake Spavadol. You guys were ahead of the game for a bit, but... 
Lincoln Riley has surpassed everything uh, at this point. And so going back to his, his early days, Kyler Murray's at A&M, and again, this was in a different offense and he was young, it was clear that it was simple. It was a lot of running. Every single play had some play action to it, some sort of element of deception to it where either he would obviously hand the ball off. If he didn't hand it off, he would do a play action pass. If not, he would do a zone read. He'd keep it. He ran the ball 20 times for 150-plus yards against South Carolina in his very first start. I don't want Kyler Murray running the football 20 times for Oklahoma. I don't either. I don't either. So I'm going to be on the record as saying that right now. Point being, though, is that – and this is not surprising. This is – this is what any coach probably would have done at that point, considering this guy had never started before in college. He was a true freshman. They made it simple on him, and they utilized his legs as a weapon because that's what his biggest strength was. Now, what you saw, though, the next game against Auburn, and Auburn back then in 2015 was, was nothing special. They finished 7-6, and six, came into College Station, and Auburn totally shut him down, forced him to throw two picks. He had, like, only 100 yards passing. Um not quite sure what he did on the ground that game. If I can pull it up, he had only eight carries in that game for 37 yards. Auburn went into that game, I'm sure, thinking, okay, this guy's going to run it a lot. We're going to take away his running ability. They were able to do that, and he couldn't take advantage of it through the air. Now, that's what, again, that's when he was young, inexperienced, and a different offense. My concern at Oklahoma is that you talk about how important his legs are. That's great. But the only way, in my opinion, that this team is going to get to be as good as it possibly can be offensively is if – Kyler Murray's arm is what separates him from everything else because the legs are going to be there, but if he's relying on his legs and teams are going to are going to gear up against him running the ball, they're going to put a lot of people in the box. And if he cannot complete passes or make the right decisions throwing the football, that's going to be a problem, and that's going to hurt Oklahoma and could cause him to lose one, two, maybe even three games. That's why I think it's so important for him to really be more of a thrower of the football and be able to be comfortable throwing the ball down the field at every different level and then using his legs to complement that. Sure. I mean, yeah, if if Kyler Murray is not an effective thrower of the football in this upcoming season, Oklahoma is not going to compete for a national championship, period. So um, I, I, I I just think him running is is probably going to be a significant portion of the offense. Not Not major. I'm not saying it's going to be the entire offense. I'm just saying it, I think it's going to be a significant part of the offense. And uh, I can't wait for all the, uh, the oohs and ahs and, and laughs and cheers the first time we see him running and, and uh, sliding feet first like he's on the baseball field. And people will talk about, oh, well, in case you didn't hear, he's going to be playing baseball next year. There's some evidence of that. Ha, ha, ha. Well, you know what? Uh, honestly, even if he wasn't playing baseball, I want him freaking sliding any <laughs> opportunity he can get. That was the. Uh, it just reminds me back when I was. I mean, I remember being at his first ever game at A and M, and the first time he took off and ran, it was like the second play of the game. He uh, it was like a quarterback draw, and he picked up like 15 yards, and he did a pop up slide at the very end of it, and everyone just was so excited about it. Like, oh, he, like he's so fast and he can run, and he's not going to get hit because he's smart enough to slide. And you know, Aggie fans were thinking that was the start of something special, and then like two months later, he was gone out of the program. <laughs> <laughs> it was I'll uh pretty funny. I'll uh I'll give I'll give the Aggie fans a break on that one. That's low hanging fruit. Yeah. Uh that's all I have on Murray. You have anything else you want to add before we move on? No, I thought that was a good discussion. I like it. I obviously we're not gonna know, you know, any of this until we actually, you know, see them play against Florida Atlantic. Um, uh, but it, it's interesting to be sure. I, I think it's it's gonna be kind of a mystery, of course, until that very first game and I, I imagine it'll be a source of, of lots of conversation leading up to uh, September. 
All right. Well, that turned out to be more of a more of a 30 minute, close to a 30 minute discussion than a five minute discussion. So interesting there. Next up, let's go to the Albert Breer article that you referenced. Excuse me, that you referenced in the opening take about Lincoln Riley. A couple things that I, I took away from it, um, the just bullet points that that I uh, to be I'll, actually I'll first off say the the part of your opening take, I didn't think much into that. Uh, that part of the article to me was. It didn't really stand out to me. So it's it's kind of interesting that that stood out to you more and to me, not really. So uh, the things that stood out to me, though, were, you know, that the NFL teams want to know more about the RPOs. Um, and, you know, what you said before, you know, OU's not a big, not a huge RPO team. Uh, I think it's interesting that Riley did mention the Eagles and using the RPOs. And you've said that before in this podcast a bunch, how you mentioned back during the Super Bowl and the playoffs that watching the Eagles play with Nick Foles, that they ran a ton of RPOs and that was something that you brought up, you know, back in December and January a lot. And, and then, uh, the part where Riley mentioned that the two teams in the Super Bowl looked a lot like Oklahoma, which is something that we already kind of heard from Riley back, uh, around signing day when he was asked about that in February, he mentioned how it was cool that it was kind of like a big 12 game. Um, let's see, uh, it's part of the article that I wish would have specified. I, I wish the article would have specified was, the number of NFL teams that actually reached out to Riley. Did you ever think, like, when you were reading that thing, like, hmm, I wonder how many coaches actually have gone to Norman, Oklahoma, because that's never specifically mentioned in the article, and I wonder why that wasn't included. Yes, I, I really wanted to know. I wanted names. I wanted the teams. I wanted everyone who he's talked to. I was curious. Um, so it, it makes me wonder, because Breer had to have asked how many who has, has come, and it makes me wonder if, if one, Riley didn't want to tell him, or two, Riley told him, but hey, this is off the record, they, they don't want to, like, maybe you're not allowed, to, I don't know, but... I would think it would have much more to do with Albert Breer knowing each and every single one of the people who has talked to Lincoln Riley, and he doesn't want to say that they talked to Lincoln Riley. That's, that that's way, what it I, keeps like a competitive advantage in the NFL. So that, like, well, that and he, he doesn't want to burn any of his sources. I'm sure he's yeah. got NFL head coaches as sources. I'm sure he, it's Albert freaking right. Breer. I, he's I don't think he's going to upset you know anybody in the NFL or at least not intentionally. Yeah. So yeah, maybe it's it's one of those. Maybe that you know, that's probably it. It's just that's that's to me that would have been the most interesting part of the story if it was included, which it was not. But yes, <laughs> so. my 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 initial thought was, oh crap! I I really hope Frank Reich has gone and talked to him because you know Frank Reich is is the head coach at, in Indianapolis now, and that that yeah that was my 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 very first thought uh, when I read kind of that portion of of the uh, of the article. So there's that, and the the last thing that I you know, and I'll let you talk about any other parts of the article that you want to talk about um, because. The main thing I want to discuss was just his quote about coaching in the NFL. And we can talk about that last unless you have anything else that you want to discuss within the article. No, I mean, I just uh, so the reason why I pulled that quote for my opening take is it, I, I was looking for for something a little under the radar. And, and I like stuff like that. Um, anything that has to do with logistics. I, I just I, I like anything where they talk about kind of their just their day to day grind and what they have to do. And that's just something that's never brought up by a lot of fans, I think, is that, hey, they actually have limited time where they can actually spend with these kids. And so, you know, has it maybe occurred to anybody that all of these fixes that we're suggesting on the fly over the course of the season, hey, you know, these coaches that are paid millions of dollars, they actually thought of these things too, but just from lived experience and, you know, the rules that are in place, there's just not a whole lot they can do about it. Um, and I'm not, I'm not saying that's absolutely the case. I, I just said... I thought that was an interesting thing, and it, it was a point that I brought up. That's all. It was, it was more of just a free thought that I brought up. 
Um, I'm not advocating one way or the other. I'm not. I'm not saying this is absolutely why, you know, changes weren't made during the 2017 season. It's not what I'm saying at all. It's just it, it was an interesting thing that I that I wanted to throw out there. Um, and this is cliched and stupid, just just to get people thinking and get quote unquote <laughs> the conversation started. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's a fair. It's a fair thing to bring up, I suppose. Um, you know, I guess my my immediate initial thoughts to to counteract that is just, it, and this has become a cliche at this point. I'm not sure really on this podcast, but any any time that I've discussed with anybody the Oklahoma defense or anything, I I always like to bring up Iowa State. I like to bring up the fact that Iowa State was able to have a a top fifty, maybe even a top forty defense last year with with a bunch of three star and two star players. They had the same amount of time to prepare for games as Oklahoma did, and everybody else in the Big Twelve. So, it's it just if they were able to figure out how to play good defense in the Big Twelve, and Oklahoma wasn't, that's that's messed up, and that's kind of weird. So, I mean, yeah, you have twenty hours, but so did everybody else, and other teams were able to figure it out, and you weren't. So, the playing field's even. The difference, though, is the players and the coaches, and if that. That's why I'm just like, I, I don't know how much stock I put into, especially on the defensive side, you know, how, how much, hey, we just didn't get to it. Or, hey, we want to do this, but we just can't get to it. I mean, uh, and also just kind of a side, I, I'd like to think that the players themselves, obviously when it comes to practice time, there's not a whole lot they can do outside of practice physically. I mean, yeah, they can go after practice, you know, work on drills and whatnot, but that's more of, from what I remember, the after practice workouts, things like that are more like quarterback and receivers and running backs and throwing and things like that. You don't see a whole lot of uh, defensive linemen and defensive tackles, you know, going over juke moves and, and I don't know, like things like that. I mean, I actually you see it every once in a while. I remember a spring practice I went to this year where I remember seeing Amani Bledsoe and I think um, uh, Mark Jackson doing some after practice stuff, some workouts. But point being, the physical stuff after practice is, is not as that's easy, but as far as watching film goes and doing research on that outside of practice on your own time, I'd like to I'd like to hope that a lot of the OU guys are are watching a heck of a lot of film outside of practice because you have to, you got to, and you got to love that stuff. You got to want to. That's what's going to make them better is putting in more time in the film room outside of practice and just kind of making sure they take mental notes on what these uh, their upcoming opponent is doing, which is a total sidebar from what you were talking about, but. Um, yeah, um, just so yeah, just to put a bow on everything. Um, west of Everest, we we endorse watching film. <laughs> okay, yeah, watching film is good. <laughs> um, so here's the quote that uh, Riley had in his uh, to Albert Breer about qu- coaching eventually in the NFL, and I'll read it here for you in case you haven't read the article or haven't seen the quote. He said, "Quote: Hard to say. It would be really difficult to ever leave this place." This place is very invested in me and my family. They gave me a great opportunity, and I think this is one of the best, if not the very best job in all of football. So I don't know. I really, really enjoy the college game. I don't know that you can ever say never. I don't know what the future will hold. But yeah, it's hard to see myself ever leaving Oklahoma right now. End quote. And uh, that's just a pro quote right there by Lincoln Riley. (laughs) Clearly, though, uh, not though, clearly he's committed to Oklahoma, but he's not closing the door on the NFL, and why would he? If I what remember your thoughts cor- on the quote? Yeah, if I remember correctly, that's basically the Bob Stoops canned response to that question, like almost verbatim. He, 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 basically, <laughs> he basically ripped off Bob Stoops. Um, yeah, hey, I, I don't, you know what, it, I, I think it's always, it's always going to be a thing where uh, 
you know, NFL teams are probably going to be, you know, you know, calling his phone in the offseason. That's that's going to be probably an annual thing for a while. Um, and that's OK. That's that's a good thing. Actually, that means we that means we got someone who a lot of other people want. Um, and so, hey, it's it's up to the administration and the athletic department to uh, to put forth everything possible to keep him here. Um, and that's all you can do is, is just is just do everything you possibly can to keep him here. And then, you know, after that, it's 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 up to him. And he's a human being. And um, I, I, I don't I don't think we're going to see him, you know, go anywhere anytime soon unless there is a run of just unprecedented success. Yeah, I continue to believe that, uh, you know, what I said many shows ago about Riley, I think he I think he's probably if he hasn't thought about it yet, which I'm sure he has uh, because he's a smart guy and he's a competitor. He's got an incredibly rare opportunity to have just legendary success at the highest level of college football. And at the same time, he's young enough that he could eventually leave college and then have legitimate elevated success in the NFL. And I don't think a lot of guys have that opportunity because by the time they're attaining success in college, maybe they're in their 40s or 50s and they have, they don't maybe the chance of going to the NFL has kind of passed them by. I mean, this Leon Riley's 34 years old. He's already got a year of head coaching under his belt and they made it to the college football playoff. And he's got NFL coaches knocking his door down during the summer to to pick his brain. So, uh, I'm with you. I don't think he's he's uh He's going to leave anytime soon. I don't think he's thinking really all that far ahead, to be honest with you. He just wants to win some championships at Oklahoma, but he's a competitor. And over time, I think he will choose to jump to the NFL to see if he can make it work at the highest level of football. Because as a head coach, in my mind, if I was a head coach, I would just want to continue to climb and climb and climb until I got to the highest point I could possibly get to. And if I had the kind of talent that Riley has, there's no way I'm not thinking about eventually coaching at the NFL level because competitors want to get to the highest level and they want to win at the highest level. And he's got the skills, especially the way that the NFL is starting to trend slowly towards the new game. And you have guys like Sean McVay, who's starting to bring more of a college style offense and then, uh, and, and, and others as well with uh, Doug Peterson. And um, I'm hoping that Matt Nagy in Chicago does the same thing this year with the bears. You know, you have these offensive coaches starting to, to revolutionize the game, I think it's just it's prime for eventually uh, Lincoln Riley making the jump. Yeah, I mean, I, I I think it's likely at some point in time, you know, in the next you know however long it is that we're we're probably going to see Lincoln Riley at some point in time coaching another team. Um, just I'm not saying that's that's imminent or that's happening soon. I'm just saying it's likely at some point in time we probably will. Um, what happened with what happened with Bob Stoops staying here his entire career? That's not normal. Um, I don't think we should get used to that as a fan base. Um, and you know, I, I just, I, I think just enjoy it, enjoy it right now. And, and I think, you know, this is, I don't think this is going to be the last year of Lincoln Riley. And if it is, that means something probably really good happened, um, th- this, this, this upcoming season. So, um, and, and hell Lee, we could all just be totally getting ahead of ourselves. He might just be a one year wonder and he might, they might suck this year and it might be totally his fault. We never know. <laughs> Well, hopefully that's not the case, but yeah, I, yeah, I hope that's true. not the case, but we really, I mean, we don't know. I mean, we're, we're having all this talk about, about a guy who's coached one season in college football. I mean, this is, this and is he why had you the, he had the best quarterback that Oklahoma's ever had at his disposal for yeah. not for his first year of head coaching, not only that first year of his head coaching, but all of his years at Oklahoma. Yeah. And so we, I mean, we, I mean, we're close to the program. We, we know how smart of a guy he is. We, and, but you know this. This is going to be it. This is kind of his prove it year. He he's got 
Uh, he doesn't have Baker Mayfield this time. We'll see if he can, um, you know, not copy the results, but let's see if he can if he can produce similar results. I I'm willing to bet that he probably can, but uh, you know, we'll see. We'll see. It, that's kind of what I always like to say. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, I think that uh, one of these West of Everest episodes we might have to just title "We'll See" because you say that so much. Right. Well, I do. I mean, it's just kind of one because we do, I think because all of this, it's just it's me just reminding everyone this is all just predictions. I mean, they're, it's they're all edu- summer talking points. Yeah, they're they're educated predictions, but these are all just predictions. I'm not. Uh, I, I I can't I can't predict the future. I, I just I can't. All right, from one Sports Illustrated story to another, and I gotta say, I saw something in this next story that signaled to me that Sports Illustrated is not the place to go this upcoming season for interesting and calculated college football content. I'll explain what I mean by that in a moment. But first, I want to say a special thank you to a listener who recently left us a very nice review on iTunes. John Doe's dad called West of Everest one of the best OU podcasts he's listened to. And I can tell he's been listening to the show for a little bit because he provided a couple of kind comments for Grant and I, some tongue-in-cheek comments about Grant specifically, and I thought I'd like to open up the, the the floor for Grant if he'd like to say anything about that review. <laughs> no, I I appreciate the review. The guy gets the bit, and I really appreciate it. I'm very very happy that he's listening, and I and I hope that you know. And this goes to everybody. I hope our uh, our performance and and the information that we provide in our analysis. I hope it keeps you guys coming back. I hope you enjoy it. So thank you very much. Here's what the listener said about Grant, just in case. Uh, which probably all of you don't just go and read reviews. Why would you? But uh, he says. I don't need to share any appreciation of Grant because he appreciates himself more than I ever could, maybe even more than his own mother could. Toot my own horn should be his catchphrase. <laughs> and and that yeah, he he gets the bit, and I and I, I appreciate it. So thank you. Oh yeah, that was good stuff. So thank you so much for that uh, that review. Thank you again, John Doe's dad, for the kind words. It means quite a bit. Also, thank you to everybody else who's left a rating recently. So far, we've gotten twenty four ratings on iTunes. Each of them five stars i'll be totally honest with you all this positive feedback only makes grant and i want to work harder and provide more quality content for you all in the future so since you all take the time to listen and send us feedback we want to continue to provide you with high level oklahoma stuff it's only going to get better once the season begins once we get into the fall as we all know that that's when it's going to really start to take off we'll be in our second season of this stuff and uh, the, the content and the quality will uh, hopefully be off the charts. So if you'd like to leave a rating and or a review on iTunes, you have not done that yet, pl- please feel free to do that now. If you'd like to contact us on Facebook, go ahead and like the West of Everest Facebook page. Send us a message. You can uh, comment, uh, have any ideas for the show, questions, anything like that. Criticisms, of course. Um, also, if you'd like to email the show, the email address is westofeverest at gmail.com. On Twitter, you can follow Grant at GrantBenson25. I am at LeeBensonNews9. And also, I will say this, we will be off next week for the 4th of July holiday. And also, we're going to be off the week after that as well. That means our next episode is scheduled for Wednesday, July 18th, which is the day after Big 12 Media Days comes to a conclusion. Please forgive us for taking another mini break. It's the summer. What can I say? Times are tough. Content uh, is difficult to come by. Once we get though into mid-July, Big 12 Media Days will be will be near the home stretch. It will be close to August, which August is kind of like the the uh, the start of everything. The uh, not not the finish line, but um, the beginning, 
if you will. And we can't wait for that. So let's now get to Sports Illustrated's top 100 college football players of 2018 list. And I didn't think much up, uh, didn't think much of this list until earlier today when I was really going through it. And a couple of, of names and uh, decisions really jumped out at me. So here we go. Rodney Anderson's the only Sooner on this list. He is ranked number 30 out of 100. So uh, Anderson's the only Sooner on the list. If you're going to go around the Big 12, I thought, okay, let's go around the Big 12 and see how many players from each Big 12 team is on this list. I'll, I'll get rid of four teams off the top. Baylor, Kansas, Iowa State, and Texas Tech do not have any teams in this list. Okay, that, that makes sense, all right? Oklahoma, who is going to be the unquestioned favorite to win the Big 12 this year. They always are for the most part. Only one team from Oklahoma. Who would you guess has the most players on this top 100 list? Did you look, Grant, at the Big 12 teams? Do you want to venture a guess at who has the most players on this list from a Big 12 team? So I did I did look, and I'm serious. I, I think it it's either – it might be West Virginia. West Virginia has three players in the top 100. Two of them should be in there for sure. Sure, yes. One of them is, is, is ranked very high and um, should not be anywhere close to this list. So the two players that should be on it from West Virginia, of course, are Will Greer, quarterback, and David Sills, the wide receiver. Two very good players. No, no doubt actually, about that. And I actually have them both listed here on my list as, as two guys, Lee, who were underrated by the list, who were ranked too low on the list, actually. Will Greer at 22. I mean, I, we'll, go, we'll go over some other quarterbacks. I, it's shocking to me some of the other quarterbacks that are ahead of him. I shouldn't say shocking, but I think Will Greer, you, I've, you know, I'm on the record of it. I think he might be the best quarterback in the country. And him at 22 is kind of surprising. And so I, I just I, I don't want to go that far. So I, I think McKenzie Milton is the best quarterback in the country. Um, so which he is higher. He's higher. Yeah, he's higher. Um, having that been said, I, I think I, I think Greer should be where McKenzie Milton actually is on this list, which is 13th. I think that would be fair for Will Greer. Trace McSorley ahead of Will Greer is an absolute joke. I. I so I don't think it's an absolute joke because I, I like Trace McSorley. But McSorley is good. Watch is, him this is, is year really without player. Saquon Barkley and without his offensive coordinator from last year. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's fair. I, I think Trace McSorley is is properly rated on this list at fifteenth. I think it's proper mm. properly rated, um, or at least I mean you could you, you could argue that he should be a little lower, but I'm not gonna you know on on a list that where there's just so many egregious additions to it. I'm not gonna. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I, I thought anyway, you, you can, you can continue the, going because there, that we can jump around so much on this list. And, yeah, and I, I know, know there's, there, there's not a whole lot of substance here, but you know, we're obviously we love OU and we're, we're very, you know, we're, we're partisans when it comes to OU and you know, this stuff is just, it is fun to talk about. And so, yeah, uh, we're, we're partisans. Sure. But we're, we're also fair. I mean, we'll, we'll call it like we see it. If, if Oklahoma does a good thing, we'll say that's a good thing. If Oklahoma does a bad thing, we'll say that was a bad thing, and I think that's that's uh, that's useful. We call balls and strikes here. Yeah, yeah, and we'll, you know we'll we'll say that. So I'm, and I always strive to do that. So I, I up front, I will I will acknowledge my bias up front if I haven't already done that. Um, you know, a year ago when we started this thing, um, incredibly biased towards the Oklahoma football team. Having that been said, I Lee and I are always striving to be completely. 
we don't want to be hacky at all. We want to give you like legitimate analysis, not just, you know, looking through crimson colored glasses. That's not what we're doing here. So like when I say stuff, I, I, I mean it and I, and I actually believe it. And I think that there's, there's stuff to back it up. So that is just the disclaimer for us talking about this list. I just like to how uh, it's June and my, my Penn State uh, hate is already starting for 2018. It was all there last year. And I, I just realized it's already coming out in uh, and 2018. So, yeah, and, and so that's actually what made me think of it because I, I mean, I, I went back and listened to a lot of our shows a few weeks ago just to get prepared for us coming back. And just the the amount of times that we that we ripped on Penn State was incredible. <laughs> was, was was it's funny in retrospect. Um, Penn State was an outstanding football team last year, like really good. No, no, they weren't. And they were not. They were not an outstanding football team. Go were. back and listen to everything they I were. said. Everything they I were. said was spot on. They were exactly what they were. They, ha- I mean, I and listen thought- to the the the, the, pre- the pre bowl games whenever you thought I was crazy. Uh, that you know, taking Penn State over Washington, and I, you know, Penn State matches up really well against Washington. They're gonna they're gonna beat Washington. And they did so. Like every, I was truthful about Penn State, the, and I was just so mad about that Ohio State game because they got so so lucky, like they did all year long, and yet they still didn't win the game because they weren't they weren't really as good as the national media media made them out to be. I. I just said I thought they were just a real they're a spectacular football team. They were a top 10 football team. They they absolutely were. Um I they they I mean, I came out at the beginning of the season and was it was saying that they're like a 7 and 5 to 8 and 4 type team. I I mean, I, I could not have been any more wrong about that. Okay. And and I was and and me doing that, I was being a hack doing that. That that just, you know. <laughs> and so I'm 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 trying to I'm just Trying to you're just trying up. to course That's correct. You're trying to course and, correct it. And no, we were being a hack. A lot of that was just whoa, 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 whoa. For, do not for, do not throw me. Do not throw me into your Penn State. No, I I stand by everything I said about Penn State last year. You can go back and listen to everything I said about Penn State. I will stand by it to my deathbed because okay, I think fine. I was spot on. Okay. with everything I said about them. Um, I think you're wrong, and I think your Penn State ha- or uh, takes were hacky. <laughs> Uh, okay, let's get back to this this list. And, I think and of course, I'm probably just going to over like uh, overcompensate now for Penn State this year, and it's just going to be just a disaster. Um, okay, so let's let's go to it, the the main the main part of this, and I think both of us are, are going to be on the same page. The the main uh, egregious errors on this list. Okay, so wide receiver. I looked at again all the Big Twelve teams. Okay, so uh, West Virginia, three players from the Big Twelve. Uh, th- I'm sorry, three players on this list in the top 100. David Sills, we agree, should be on the list. He's one of the best receivers in the country. Fine. TCU had two players, okay? Now, one of TCU players is Jalen Rager, who's a wide receiver. Now, okay, so by this list, <laughs> this list is basically saying they think Jalen Rager is better than any of the uh, Oklahoma wide receivers, which is a patently absurd stance to take. And if you think that's absurd, wait until you get further down the list. <laughs> so Jalen Rager because, at 90 because I, I I think there is a legitimate argument that Jalen Rager deserves to be included in this list actually um my my, my the thing that made me mad about Jalen Rager was you know who was omitted for Jalen Rager um and I got even more upset you know once you get further down the list so wait hold on where, where are you going with this go ahead and keep keep going I'm, I'm saying, not quite okay, sure where you're going okay so for instance Lee, Jalen Rager is, uh, what is he on this list? He's number... 90. He? He's number 90 on this list. I, 
I think that's totally defensible. I think Jalen Rager is really good. Jalen Rager is a, is is a better player than that than other guys that I have a um, problem being on this list. Just in general, even being on the list. Hold on. Also, too, let's just to be fair to Sports Illustrated, we have to make sure that we uh, list their rationale for this list. Uh, they specifically say in the beginning of their article. It says, in constructing our rankings, the most important factor we assess is how significantly each player's production will impact his team's success this season, not how good he was last year. They're predicting who the best 100 players are going to be at the end of the season is what they're doing. Pretty much, yes. And so, and so which is interesting because the only thing that you can take from that is that the, the writers at Sports Illustrated are not very high in Oklahoma at this upcoming season. Yeah, I, that, I guess maybe that's a fair thing. I mean, basically what the, the idea is that Baker Mayfield made Mark Andrews, C.D. Lamb, and Marquise Brown last year. Jeff Bidette, throw him in there too. Basically, that's kind of the argument that Sports Illustrated is, is making here by not including basically C.D. Lamb or Marquise Brown on this list. And they also didn't include Marquise Brown and C.D. Lamb on the snub list also of the 10 people who they thought about including, but decided not to, which means they never even came up. Right. Which, and so once you get further down on the list, you're going to see how egregious and ridiculous it is. Keep going, Lee. So let's go with, uh, we'll stick with the big 12 teams first. And this is like, this won't take long because uh, only one other team in the big 12 has wide receivers on the list. And, you know, Big 12, big-time offenses, right? You know, throwing the ball around everywhere. You know, who Texas Tech, uh, Baylor throws it around everywhere. Obviously, West Texas Virginia. Texas Tech actually, got, by the way, Texas Tech has a receiver better than both of these receivers <laughs> on their roster right now, and he didn't make the list. Uh, Oklahoma State throws it around. Granted, all their, their, their good receivers. I mean, uh, um, obviously, James Washington and, um, geez, I'm blanking. Uh, Tyron Johnson. Uh, all right. Oh. Uh, oh, hell. I mean, Tyron Johnson's back, and I mean, but he's he's incredibly athletic and talented. Uh, just we'll see if they can utilize him more. Anyways, my point being is that you think of all these Big Twelve teams high flying, but the one team though that has not one wide receiver on this list, but two wide receivers on this list, that offensive juggernaut at Texas, Grant, <laughs> Lil Jordan Humphrey and Colin Johnson, Humphrey at eighty one, Johnson at sixty four. So apparently these guys. At Sports Illustrated, they must be thinking that Sam Ellinger or Shane Bouchelle are going to throw it around the yard this year. They are. They're they're clearly very high on on Texas and West Virginia coming up. You know this upcoming season. Uh, you know, I I just I don't get this one. Hey, I and I was the guy who even said that. You know, even before the the Red River Shootout last year, that Colin Johnson kind of terrifies me. Colin Johnson's potential terrifies me. He's he have, he really hasn't ever done anything um, relevant on the football field. Most certainly, little Jordan Humphrey never has. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think you know this is where Sports Illustrated would fall back on. This is who we think is going to be you know at the end of the season. Sure, if if you want to predict that that Texas, whose whose offense was ranked 99th last year, offensive S and P. Um, I, you know, one of the worst offenses in the Big 12. If you think that their offense is going to take off so much this year that Sam Ellinger is going to have, you know, is going to make two guys who are just kind of okay into top, you know, top 15 receivers in the country, I, I don't know. I kind of want what you're smoking, but <laughs> hey, we, I, 
you know, we could be wrong. We'll see, I guess. Uh, we will see. Uh, just uh, to finish up, Big 12, uh, Kansas State, one guy on the list. At number 50 is Dalton Risner, an O-lineman. And he's, and he's criminally underrated on that list. He should be, he should be near the top 30. Uh, Oklahoma State's got one player, Justice Hill, right behind Rodney Anderson at 31. Uh, TCU, we mentioned Rager, also Ben Banigou's on the list. Uh, that's it. His weight was way too low. He was 98th. Um, there's, a lot, there's a lot of head scratchers. Another one. Um, let's see, I got it. I, I I separated people and for notables for being too low on the list. I got T.J. Edwards from Wisconsin. He was number 95. Uh, I know he's coming off an injury, but that guy was one of the five best defenders in the country coming into last season. He's number nine. That's crazy. Um, Damian Harris was number 70. He's the Alabama running back who is just kind of ho hum. Ran for a thousand yards the last two years. He was number 70. That's kind of weird. I thought. Uh, Dalton Dalton Rissner was number fifty. I, she, as, like I said, he should be close to the the top fifty. DeAndre Baker, a cornerback from Georgia, was number forty six. I thought he was too low. Um, uh, David Silsley at number thirty eight, I thought was too low. Um, I don't. I I, I can under, so Debo Samuel is actually the top rated receiver on here, which which I think is defensible, I, I guess. Um, but I Debo Samuel was eighteenth, and I, I'm you can't tell me that. He's twenty spots better than David Sills. In fact, I'd probably take David Sills over Debo Samuel. So that that's an interesting one to me. And then of course the others were were Will Greer and Mackenzie Milton, who I uh, who I mentioned earlier. Lee, the the others, some just other kind of notables I thought who were just were way too high on the list. Um, uh, Rodrigo Blankenship, Georgia's kicker, was was number one hundred on the list. I'm, no kicker should ever be close to any of these lists. I'm sorry. <laughs> Um, of course, Lil yeah, Jordan was, Humphrey and, mm-hmm. and Colin Johnson. There are some other um, receivers that just really made my head scratch. Stanley Morgan, a senior receiver from Nebraska, was number 48. Um, he's a guy who had like 900 yards and seven touchdowns last year. I, I, I guess, yeah, if you're trying to predict who's yeah, going to be. He had be, almost 1,000 yards and he had 10 touchdowns last year. Oh, he had 10? Okay, okay. So I'm, I'm getting them mixed up with someone else. Then it, might, it must be the other guy, the other receiver I, I put on there. Um, I, I, I put justice Hill as a notable for being too high at number 31. I, I don't know. He, he's, he's not, he's not anywhere close to being a top 30 player in college football. Um, JK Dobbins was too high at number 26. JK Dobbins is not a better, is not a better player than Rodney Anderson. There's no way. Um, David Longley was the other, uh, West Virginia player who was on there. He's a linebacker for West Virginia. And, um, David Long, I think he's, he's solid. He's an okay player. He's a solid player. He's a good player. He's not a top 100 player in college football. That's ridiculous, and much less 24th best player in football. That's, I mean, he's they're they're, they're saying David Long's the best is the best defensive player in in the Big 12, and I mean that's just, I mean guys, come on, come on. You put <laughs> you, you 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 put Ben Banigou, who who is actually the best defensive player in the Big 12, up at 98. He barely, he barely even made the list, which leads me to believe there's a lot of guys who just aren't. I, probably, I, you know, I I don't really know. But just in case there's some people there who are like, ah, you guys are biased. You just you just want to rip on Texas and whatever. I mean, no, that's that's not the that's not the problem I have. It's just a bad list. I mean, Lil Jordan Humphrey and Colin Johnson deserve to be nowhere near this list. Texas has four defenders who should be on this list before any offensive player even sniffs it. Uh, that would be Chris Boyd, Brandon Jones, Gary Johnson, and Brecken Hager. All of them deserve to be on this list over the the, the two Texas receivers. It's just, it's just kind of a weird thing. I, I, I don't understand how, even if you are predicting who is, you know, 
you're predicting the the players who are going to have a good season. I get it, and you know these those two receivers might have good seasons, but I I just I mean Texas's defense is where is is where the you know is is where the bread's going to be made. So I don't I mean Texas is going to have a lot of really good players on their defense, and I just that it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me, Lee. That's all. The only other notes I had I had uh, another wide receiver. Um, on the list that I thought, again, just to drive home how ridiculous it was to not see Marquise Brown or CeeDee Lamb on this list. Uh, T. Higgins from Clemson. He was a true freshman last year, which so was so was CeeDee Lamb. Uh, Marquise Brown, obviously a junior college transfer. Play, I mean, he wasn't a true freshman, but he was playing his first year of college football. So in a way, all three of the players, Higgins, Brown, and Lamb, are all playing their first year of college football. Uh, let's go over the – I mean, again, I know this is supposed to be for this year, so apparently they're very high on this T. Higgins guy. But um, – oh, gosh, I had their stats up. Marquise Brown, almost 1,000 yards last year, 981, had six touchdowns, obviously came on very strong at the end of the year. And uh, C.D. Lamb, I think, was at like uh, he's 740 yards and seven touchdowns. OK, I mean, neither one of them got to a thousand. I mean, Marquise Brown was close. OK, but then you got this T. Higgins guy in the, you know, the high flying Clemson offense. Uh, 17 catches last year, 345 yards and two touchdowns. So if you're going to have, you know, players that were true freshmen last year, all of a sudden now that are going into their true sophomore years or their second year of college football, how do you include this T. Higgins guy on here as opposed to either C.D. Lamb or Marquise Brown? That well, doesn't make any sense. He was a five-star recruit, and I think might have been the number one receiver in the country coming out of high school. He was a rival's four-star. He was a rival's four-star. Four just really? like C.D. Lamb. Interesting. And, I mean, Marquise and so Brown that, had a better year. And, and, there, and, and that and, also and, begs... Yeah. That also begs the question. That brings up the other ridiculous thing uh, with the, the Kelly Bryant-Trevor Lawrence situation, which we sort of touched on last week. Uh, Kelly Bryant can is is not a good thrower of the football, and Trevor Lawrence is a true freshman quarterback. I, I just I it's mm-hmm. I, I I just I, I I don't get I absolutely get the Clemson love for their defense, and their defense is likely just going to carry them to the playoff. I I think that's very likely. Clemson gonna really struggle to score again in the playoff if 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 they're rolling Kelly Bryant out there. That's all I'm saying. Clemson uh, I think they had the most players on the list because I I searched Clemson I searched Alabama I searched Ohio State Clemson do you want to make a guess how many players from Clemson are on this list I don't know 12 oh I actually okay now you're kind of crapping on my point they had nine so oh, you yeah. went even higher I thought you were gonna well, guess like five or something well no, they had like nine they had, players they had like four in the top 11 I saw that so it's just so I, Clemson with nine players on this list Alabama with seven Wisconsin, five players on the list. I mean, it's just all these teams in Oklahoma's got one. Ohio State had four. Heck, Oregon has four players on this list. And so, and so here's where I, I, I think that I think there are four OU players who absolutely for sure belong on this list. And I think you can make an argument for the fifth. The four who I think absolutely should be on the list, the, the one who already is on it, Rodney Anderson. The others, Lee, um, the other, uh, Bobby Evans obviously should be on the list. Um, and the other two being CeeDee Lamb and Marquise Brown. Um, the other one who I think has an argument to be on this list is Ben Powers. Um, I agree. I love Ben Powers. Ben Powers is a, is a great player. He's a really nice player. I thought you were going to say the other one that has an argument to be on this list is actually Kyler Murray. I think Kyler Murray's got an argument to be on this yeah, list. If, and I'll tell you and why. So, and yeah, and actually because you're going to say because they're talking about who's going to be the best players at the end of the season, then Kyler Murray absolutely belongs on the list. And that's, I mean, that's the reason, but another 
way to, for example, the reason why he should be on this list, he has an argument at least, is that at 84, they've got Tua Tagovailoa from Alabama, who literally has played one half of football in college. Granted, it was in the national championship game, but if they're going to put Tua on this list, who's a true freshman last year and, and barely played, you got Kyler Murray, who's already played, made, made a couple starts in college, has all these years under his belt in college. How do you, I mean, they're going to basically they're saying Tua is going to be better this year than Kyler Murray, which I guess in theory he very much well could be. But again, this is a preseason. Who's going to be the best? It, if you're going to have this guy on the list, I think you could easily have Kyler Murray on this list instead of Tua Tagovailoa. You know, Lee, I just this this just occurred to me, and I don't know if if companies actually do this. Is there any chance that the editors for Sports Illustrated sat in their conference room and they made a conscious decision, hey, let's put out a really controversial list so college football fans will talk about it on social media because it's June and there's nothing to talk about? Yes, that's a good point. They're v- <laughs> that is certainly a possibility. But Because it's also, working. But also at the same time, I don't, I, I doubt, I mean, who knows? I don't know. What a what a it's just it's not a great list I don't think and I and I think in the methodology I think they said that they like they pulled sports writers so I mean th- I mean there you go that's why the list is was so that terrible. in there I didn't I must I think have, it I must have, have glazed been. over that but you go look at it I I don't know I, if if they did I mean that would explain why the list is so terrible but <laughs> um I don't want to I don't I didn't read that I don't think I read that uh, anyways that the last Either way, if that's true or not, um, oh well. Uh, The last note I want to make on this list that I found to be quite interesting, Grant, is that once again, Oklahoma with Rodney Anderson, the lone Sooner on the list. Oklahoma's week one opponent, Florida Atlantic, has two players on this list. A linebacker, Aziz Al-Shayir at number 79, and running back Devin Singletary at number 35. So how about that? Yeah, I know it's 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 kind of a silly list. That's that's all. It's 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 a silly, very very silly list. <laughs> Although I do, I, I I did agree with their top for the the number one pick on there. Their 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 pick is the number one player was Ed Oliver at Houston, which I I agree. So he probably is the best. He shouldn't be in college. Well, he won't be in college after this year. It's and then it's it makes me think even more. It's like who I. Ed Oliver knew he was this good, right? Why on earth did he go to Houston? It makes no sense <laughs> to me. Uh, I thought Khalil Tate at number four is way too high. The uh, yeah, way um, too high. And so I mean, my yeah, my comment on that is I thought him and Mackenzie Milton should have been flipped. Like Mackenzie Milton, if you have a chance, I think we said it last year because I, I didn't watch him a whole lot, but I, I did watch a few games of Central Florida. The thing is though with Mackenzie Milton, which is going to be disappointing this season is that he doesn't have Scott Frost calling plays for him. Now he's got Josh Heupel calling plays for him, and he's, he'll, he will take a massive step back this year. Interesting. Just based, I, on the, based on the history of Josh Heupel and basically getting fired at OU because he just could not evolve the offense. We'll unless see. he's learned I mean, a lot. Unless he's just learned a lot, which, you know what? That's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to learn from your uh, shortcomings. And, I mean, he went to Missouri, and he was he able certainly to had get Drew Locke going. Rolling. Yeah, I, yeah from time to time i mean we'll see maybe hypel has has improved over the years and he's and he's learned from his mistakes and he's gotten better i hope he has because it's oklahoma we love josh hypel the guy won a national title freaking love josh hypel um but if i had to guess right now i'd say that ucf will take a, a big time step back this year 
I mean, which defi- they went define, undefeated last year. Yeah. So. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's possible, but you know, going I mean, their on offense the, was like right behind OU's. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. So, which is but, incredible. Know, going off the information we have and like what's been put on tape and what I know of these players, um, I think, and in, in my mind, McKenzie Milton is the unquestioned best quarterback in college football coming back. In my mind, he looked like uh, a poor man's Baker Mayfield last year. He really did. He looked really good. Yeah, and and I'm not saying there's no one who's like close to him. I think Will Greer is close to him. I think Khalil Tate, in terms of like his impact, can be close to him. But in, in terms of completing forward passes, the best I think McKenzie Milton is the best player in the country coming back in that respect. All right, let's finish up the show with uh, some thoughts on the Mayfield Colin Cowherd interview. Uh, it, it was last, I believe, was it Tuesday? Tuesday or Wednesday? Um, it, it pretty much happened like right after our, our episode came out last week. Uh, I was pretty excited for this. You know, we've talked about Mayfield and Cowherd on this show quite a bit. You and I both really like Colin Cowherd. Uh, we respect his opinion, but we just think he's wrong about Baker Mayfield. So it was it was fascinating that this this quickly uh, Mayfield actually came onto his show. So uh, my here's my initial thoughts, and I'll let, I'll let you give your thoughts after me. My, my first thoughts: I watched the whole thing. It's about 20 minutes long. Uh, I thought it was great television. That was really good. I thought both both um, parties were very respectful, brought the heat, but at the same time, um, again, I, th- I thought Baker Mayfield had some good answers. I thought Colin Cowherd asked some tough questions, and again, I thought they were both respectful of each other for the most part, and I thought both parties perhaps left with a little bit more of an appreciation for one another. Um, there we saw some pictures afterwards of both the guys smiling, you know, and Baker Mayfield gave Colin Coward, I think, like a, a hoodie that said undraftable on it. So it was all in good fun. So I think overall uh, it was great television. I wish there was more of this stuff in sports media where you have a, you know, a, a pundit. And, and let me be specific. Again, I think Colin Coward's really good. I think I think there's a difference between Colin Coward and like, let's say, a Skip Bayless who who will never change his position, who will no matter what Tim Tebow is the best ever, ever. You know, it's just but where Colin Coward will will actually give legitimate reasons for things. And I think he's got some good takes. Therefore, I think it's interesting whenever he has criticisms and he has a guy come on and they hash it out. It makes for good TV. And this is what this was. And I really enjoyed it. Grant, what do you think? Yeah, I thought it was good. I thought I agree with you. I thought both parties came off well. Um, there was some, there were some instances where I didn't love the body language from Baker Mayfield. Um, I mean, ironically, it was, it was during the whole, uh, it was when they, you know, went into the Ohio state, uh, discussion when I, I thought you could tell his body language Baker was certainly, he was irritated, but I thought he did a good job of being calm and giving good, clear answers, but you could tell, um, his body language, um, was a little was a little negative during some aspects of it, but that's that I'm I'm picking nits there. That's that's complete nitpicking. Um, I agree. I sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, I I, th- I thought it was a good interview. I thought it was good. Um, my favorite part of it was was honestly I I was just I was worried that there that there was going to be some sort of argument and Baker Mayfield was going to come out on the other side looking really bad. So as far as that not happening in my eyes, it was it was a successful interview. And so I, I, I thought I thought it went really well. Um, it came off as something to me that I think is is is, is going to be maybe a regular thing in the future. And especially if Baker Mayfield has a successful NFL career, I have a feeling that he might have him on a lot. <laughs> uh, just from the start of the interview, uh, Mayfield, 
told Colin that a lot of the criticism he thought that Colin had was that uh, it just kind of came off as like he just he just did not know Baker Mayfield. And, you know, Baker Mayfield, you hear him say a lot. It's like, you know, people just don't know me. And you hear that a lot from a lot of athletes like, hey, you know, you have your opinion, but you just don't know who I am, really. And a lot of times I think that's kind of a cliche. It's like, yeah, of course, no one really knows you. I mean, you're a public figure, but you only have a certain amount of people that actually do know you. And there's people that are in the business of having opinions and we make our opinions based off of what we see publicly. And when you're a public figure, you have to be aware of that. And um, so, but still, that's that was kind of the beginning of it. Um, let's see. He answered questions about you know not playing early in Cleveland because of Tyrod Taylor, not being ready to uh, Mayfield answered those pretty well. Um, as far as my favorite part, um, probably the uh, the audio clip that we're going to play. We're going to play the audio clip of Cowherd uh, criticizing him about his celebration during the Ohio State game after one of the touchdowns. And I think we talked about this on this podcast back whenever he brought it up for the first time, Colin Coward, that is. Uh, it was after the touchdown pass to Trey Sermon. And for some reason, Colin Coward felt like it was necessary to criticize Mayfield for running over to the crowd instead of running over to celebrate with his teammates. And it was a really weird criticism. It was like, I thought it was kind of a bit when, when Coward first did it on a show because he brought it up with Joe Klatt. And I kind of thought, okay, now he's kind of starting to just kind of get into a bit here where, like, he's not, he doesn't really mean this. He's just kind of doing this for fun. But the fact that he brought it up again to Baker Mayfield, uh, one, I guess I got to give credit to Cowherd because it was such a ridiculous take, and he owned it. And then Baker Mayfield uh, was asked about it, and I'll play you, uh, play you that bite. And just, I mean, you may have heard it by now, but just in case you have not heard it, here's what it sounded like. You're playing Ohio State. I watched every snap. You were, you know, gloriously talented guy, right? And then I see this play right here. Now watch this, Baker. And you throw a touchdown. And instead of, now I don't like this. I'm going to tell you right now. How come you're not, what? Where are you going? Where are you going over there? Our band is over there. Our student section's right there. And then straight back to our sideline. What about your teammates? Did you watch the rest of the game? I watched the whole game. You did? So you saw me celebrate with my teammates like the three touchdowns before that too? I don't like that. Oh, okay. Yeah. You pulled the one clip of me running right there to our fans and people that traveled well to that game, first of all. And then you didn't show the rest of the clip of me going to our sideline? No, no, no. You go, well, you no, have to go to the sideline. You You're not going to go to you a didn't. hospital. Well, where are you going to go after the touchdown? You're not going to go... Well, you're uh, acting like I just ran away from everybody. Well, you did, but then you came back and circled to the sideline. This is a, what is it, a five-second clip? Of you showing me, and then I'm off the screen right there? I'd like you to be with your teammates. Uh, watch the rest of the game, I was. All right. Oh, I know you went back to the sideline. No, no, no. I'm, go watch the other touchdowns. I got very excited on that one. So you think my accusation that this, doesn't, this isn't the fact that I feel like you're going for the fact that I'm not a team guy. I'm selfish. Is that what you're shooting at right here, or what? Um, it is a... No, I don't think that. I think, you, I think sometimes your judgment's just a tad off, and I think the NFL's a judgment league because the, the game is so fast. Mm -hmm. You have to make... The windows get really, really tight and really, really small. You got to make decisions really, really fast. In college, you got that Orlando Brown guy, got a little yeah. more time. I don't love that decision. I don't love it. The celebration? Do you I, see what people do in the league now, celebration-wise? Hip thrusting, not a fan. <laughs> not a big fan of hip thrusting. I'm not going to lie to you. I don't like when Antonio Brown's doing that stuff. I'm not into it. You know what? Can, have you, do you have your celebration? Uh, no, I have nothing. I have nothing. You're just going to give the ball to I, Apparently, I think I need to just run away. <laughs> so uh, that's the clip. That's my favorite part of it. And the, the best part of it to me, I like that Mayfield brought up, hey, so it sounds like you're going for – 
I'm not a team guy. Is that where you're going for? Because let's be honest, that was the implication that Coward was making. And to be fair, I thought Coward, his rebuttal of that was actually pretty fair as well. He said, no, it's, it's a judgment-based thing. And I think he kind of saved himself there because, sure, it's a judgment. And he talks about judgment a lot. But I really do think the initial – I mean, the only – that's the implication, right? Whenever you show a play like that and you show him going to celebrate uh, away from his teammates, the, the implication to me is that me, 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 my team's not important. And I like that Mayfield called him on that. What did you think, Grant? Yeah, that was the implication he was making. Um, and, you know, Coward's a pro. I, I'm sure he, he, is, he, he has questioned, you know, um, he has questioned whether or not people are a good teammate before and he's probably been confronted about it and he probably knows exactly how to deal with that. Um, you know, he's a pro and I, I, I thought, I thought the entire exchange was handled really well. Um, it, it, I do like at the end, the, the little jab that Baker says, he's like, Hey, apparently I just need to run away. And then Colin immediately laughs. I think that, that, that changed just kind of the, the tenor of the conversation. I think after that, it was a, I think after that coward in his head might've thought, okay, this, this kid's okay. I, I after that part. And here's what here's why this is so good, um, in my opinion, is again, like, you know, you and I we really like Colin Coward. I've been listening to Colin Cowherd since twenty ten. So for about eight years, uh, mostly about his football stuff. I, I very recently I've been listening more about the NBA just because I'm here in Oklahoma City with the Thunder, blah, blah, blah. But I've always listened to his football stuff and I and I generally I think he has really good football thoughts. I think I, I very rarely disagree with him when it comes to football stuff. So that's why it's whenever with all the Baker Mayfield stuff, it's it's like, OK, I'm, we're not on the same page. I don't, I, I don't agree with you. And obviously we both like Baker Mayfield quite a bit. So getting both of them in a room and hashing it out and being respectful and fun. Again, it was this is this is some of the best sports talk radio you can have, because normally when you have when you have athletes on, in my opinion, when you have athletes on radio shows, it's boring, man. It is really boring. They say nothing. The questions are whatever. They're not interesting. Baker Mayfield's interesting, and Colin Coward's interesting, and, and it was really good. And I, I want to see more of athletes who are criticized, not afraid to go on these types of shows and stand up for themselves. And then, you, uh, again, counter-argument. You can make the argument, and this is the next question I have for you. Should Mayfield have gone on the show? Should he actually even care what Colin Cowherd thinks? Because I, I was talking to one of my work coworkers about this, and you know he's not as much into Colin Cowherd. Doesn't really listen to talk radio that much, and he's a big sports guy. Loves sports. He's not you know whatever talk radio guys. That's their job is to have an opinion every day. Sure it is, and that's that's their job. And he thought was like you know Mayfield shouldn't even really care about what. Colin Coward essay. Who's Colin Cowherd? So I think, I mean, I think that's a fair assessment too. I mean, there's people out there that don't like Colin Coward, think Colin Coward's an idiot. So, I mean, should May- Mayfield even care what Colin Coward thinks? Why, should he even go on the show? Uh, I mean, sh- if it was me, I wouldn't have gone on the show. If it was me, I would stay to myself. I would never acknowledge any of it. And I would go out and I would, you know, try to play really well in the field. Um, that's what I would do. Having that been said, I'm not Baker Mayfield. I mean, I don't know. I think um, there's a lot. I mean, there's lots of calculations you can make. To go, I mean, I think I think he won the PR battle by going on. So in that, you know, in that respect, it was certainly a success. And to answer your question, in that respect, should he have gone on? Yeah, he won the PR battle. Um, should he care what Coward thinks? Probably not. But that's also not the world we kind of live in these days. Um, you know, whether or not we like it, this is. I mean, he's. Lee, Baker Mayfield's a lot younger than us. I mean, he's 
he's on social media all the time, I'm sure. This is just kind of part of his life. And, um, I, yeah, it's certainly not how I would handle all this stuff. But, I, I mean, I've, I've said numerous times, I'm, I'm not rah-rah guy. I am, I, I'm more Sam Bradford guy. I like, I like even killed. Um, and, you know, Mayfield has, has you know, kind of upset the apple cart in my mind on that for the last three years. So um, it's – I. It's hard for me to talk about Baker Mayfield. He, he he's a guy who I'm I, I'm pretty sure I, I would hate him if I wasn't an OU fan. So it's um, <laughs> I'm serious. I and so because uh, I, I just I, I hate the raw raw stuff. I always have, but hey, I love it with him. I'm not afraid to admit it. So I'm I'm a lot of my Mayfield takes are are, are hackish. I'll just say it to 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 keep with the theme of the show, or at least the second half of the show. Uh, okay, three things. Uh, one, it, mu- it must be said, uh, should he have gone on the show? Uh, well, yeah, I think he should because he was he was uh, promoting another like reality kind of show that he was doing with Fox. So he was trying to get some promotion out of it. And Coward made the point, I think, the next day on his show that uh, like he gets millions and millions of Facebook hits, which is like way more than anybody else. So like even if you don't see his show on TV or the radio, people watch him on Facebook. So basically, if you come on Coward's show, you're going to get a lot of eyeballs. You're going to get a lot of uh, uh advancement if you're trying to promote something so that's number one uh number two um i thought i'd like to say that i wouldn't like mayfield either as far as his personality goes i think i've said this before on the show but i'd like to think that as a guy who really loves football and appreciates good football i'd like to think that if i didn't like oklahoma but i watched a lot of mayfield's game i would really enjoy him and enjoy watching him play the game of football because he plays it so well and and he's not a he's not a gimmick he really isn't he's not a gimmicky texas tech system guy i mean he he understands the game he understands how to read defenses and make the right play and and he likes to watch film so i'd I'd like to think that even if i didn't like oklahoma i would appreciate his ability to play the game of football uh really well and then lastly uh kind of more on the you know he's on twitter a lot and that's kind of his thing also with, with baker mayfield he comes off as somebody, I think in the past he said that he's just like a college football fan. He's always been growing up. I mean, he, he watches all the, uh, all the shows and like he follows the sport and like he, he followed OU as a kid. And like he's just like a college football fan who also happens to be this incredible football player himself. So because of that, I wouldn't be surprised if he's always grown up watching, you know, PTI and Around the Horn and all of these opinion shows. And he, he's plugged into it. He, he maybe even Colin Cowherd for all the year and, and he hears it and if he gets the opportunity to come on and, and, and debate and, and have a conversation with Colin Coward or anybody, I mean, he was on with Skip Bayless and Shannon Sharp as well that day, uh, you know, promoting the show. And, and I mean, Skip Bayless really likes Baker Mayfield. And I think Shannon Sharp does too, actually. So, you know, it was, there wasn't as much criticism there as with Coward, but I think Mayfield's just a guy that he's grown up with a lot of these, these personalities, I think. And he, he likes that. And I think he's taking advantage of, Hey, I, I get a chance to go on these shows and, and give my opinion and, and stand up for myself and, and kind of spar with these these personalities. I think he probably really enjoys that. Yeah, that's certainly possible. I mean, you're 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 speaking. I I think you're speaking to a lot of our experiences growing up. How you know? But I yeah, I I like to think that you know there's other people who grew up like that. And yeah, I mean, it's certainly possible. He he has said numerous times how much of a college football fan he is, and it's not out of the realm of possibility that he just kind of grew up watching those types of shows, and he did maybe relish the opportunity to be on. Um, yeah, I mean that that it, it's a cool way to think about something like that because um, you know we all love OU football, we all love college football, um, and so we know how passionate we are about it. And you know, I you know we've loved this stuff for you know fifteen years, and 
you know, it's it just makes sense that there's other people who feel the same way. So, um, you know, I, I, I overall, I, I thought it was just a positive thing just because, um, you know, he, he is he is winning the PR war. But at the same time, that that PR war does not matter at all. As soon as you get on the field, he's he's going to have to bring it once he gets on the field. Uh, lastly, before we wrap this show up, do you think Colin Coward now changes his opinion on Baker Mayfield? I think he's no. I, I don't think so. I think he probably feels the same way in terms of playing, but I think I wouldn't be surprised if he's actually if, if he's rooting for him now. I think he's probably rooting for him. Yeah, I agree. I initially I kind of thought, ah, oh, maybe he'll change his mind, but but after I thought more about it, no, I I think you're right. I think he'll 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 hold the same thought of uh, his ceiling, you know, as Case Keenum and and Sam Darnold's obviously the most ready and he's gonna have a better career and but at the same time, I I think there's no question. That I'm sure he's got a lot more respect for Baker Mayfield now. Um, we haven't mentioned this yet. Uh, Coward asked him about the arrest video, and Mayfield talked about it, was open about it, and afterwards, Coward said, "That's the best answer you've given to me all day long because it showed maturity." And he, you know, because because Coward liked that he admitted that he was embarrassed by it and he learned from it. And and I, I think I texted you afterwards. And I said, you know, I, I really like that Mayfield has no problem talking about that because. It's annoying to me whenever you see anybody, not athlete, not just athletes, but just anybody, whenever something bad happens to them and then they go on shows and they're asked about the bad thing and they say stuff like, oh, you know, that I don't really want to talk about that anymore. You know, that was in the past or they, they're really short. Uh, to me, that that's annoying. That's that's a cop out that that's showing to me that you're not really mature. You haven't matured. You're not if you're not comfortable talking about something that happened happened to you in the past. I think you brought this up. You made this point to me off air is that that just kind of shows that you're not, you haven't really learned from it. It, it. You haven't really moved on from it and you haven't learned, learned anything from it. So the fact that Mayfield was able to go on there and talk about the whole arrest and, you know, be upfront and say he was embarrassed and, and coward like that. I, I know he's done that before Mayfield has, but again, it was good to hear him do that. Uh, so yeah, I, I think that coward has a new respect for him. But I think you're right, though. As far as on the field, I'm sure he has the same thoughts as he had before. Yeah, Lee. I think um, being able to reflect on 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 something that was a negative on your life, being able to look back and reflect on it, um, and actually be thoughtful about it and not run away from it that is that is a sign of maturity. That's an obvious sign of maturity um, because that's hard. That's really hard to do. You know how any, you ha- do you have any idea how easy it is to just you know say, hey, this really crappy thing happened to me and this really crappy thing happened to me because of my actions and I'm too scared or, or um, am not willing to go back and, and reflect on those and become a better person. I'm too, or, uh, you know, I don't want to talk about that, 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 that shows kind of a commitment to, you know, to not learning from your mistakes as a general rule. All right. That's all I have on Mayfield. Anything else you want to add before we wrap it up? Or are just, you good? Just love Baker Mayfield, man. I just, I want him to, tear up the league in Cleveland which kind of sounds like an oxymoron but you know what <laughs> I, I will mean. say uh, I, w- I will say uh, one more note on it um, he coward asked him about Cleveland and how it's a, dif- a dysfunctional franchise and Mayfield did exactly what he needed to do he he said I don't think it's dysfunctional um, you know you haven't basically saying no you have not been in you know in, until you come into the meeting rooms and the organization you know you have your opinion that way but you know I've seen it you know, it's it's not it it's it's not dysfunctional. Uh, we have a lot of good players. Blah 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 blah. Basically, Mayfield was sticking up for his organization and his team. He's got to do that. But it's a totally fair question because 
the cliche in the NFL is that the Browns, of course, are a dysfunctional organization. There's no doubt about it. Um, so I thought that was kind of interesting because, again, Mayfield had to stick up for his team, and he did did so very well. He did it. He answered it very well. But at the same time, it's like he's kind of full of crap. I mean, it, of course, there's dysfunction there. Like, I mean, at least historically, uh, maybe, maybe he hasn't seen it. It's possible so guess, he just hasn't seen yeah. it yet. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he's only been there for two months. Uh, and granted, they do have a new GM. I mean, John Dorsey's relatively new there, so I mean. It, the ownership's not new, but at least the general manager, for what it's worth, I believe, Dorsey's only in his first year. And and Hugh believe, Jackson so. has been there for, for three years, so there's some continuity there. So there's obviously mm-hmm. a system worked out. And obviously Hugh Jackson has not been a successful head football coach, but um, you know there is something to be said about continuity and whatnot. And, um, but yeah, I, I, an absolutely fair question. I'm glad Cowherd asked it. Yeah, you got to ask that question if you're in Cowherd's shoes, I think. Well, that's it for today. Again, our next show is Wednesday, July 18th. So by the time our next show comes around, we're going to be really close to Hard Knock starting. We're going to be like two weeks away from Hard Knock. Eh, two and a half weeks away. Maybe three weeks away from Hard Knocks. Can't wait for that. Uh, have a great 4th of July holiday, everyone. God bless America. For Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest.